Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's open up to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to invite you to be getting your Bibles open up to Hebrews chapter 12 as well. We'll read one verse here in just a moment, but we'll read a lot of different verses this morning. So let's get those Bibles working. Let's get settled in with the Word of God because that's what we want to devote our attention to for these next few minutes. It's great to be with you this morning, and it's great to have the opportunity to engage in this period of Bible study together. I hope that you have had uh, an enjoyable holiday weekend, have been able to enjoy the, the good things about the Thanksgiving holiday and thinking about our blessings and those sorts of things. But I hope that you are ready right now to involve yourself in the Word of God. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter I'm reading, after the writer has discussed the danger of rejecting Christ, the danger of refusing to hear His Word, He then gives this very stern and sober warning at the end of Hebrews chapter 12. This is verse 29 when the writer says, For our God, He is a consuming fire. In Greek mythology, the story is told of a master craftsman by the name of Daedalus and his son Icarus, both of whom were trying to escape the island of Crete. And so Daedalus, being the craftsman that he was, he fashioned together a couple of pairs of wings made out of feathers and wax, one for him and one for his son, and they were going to just escape the island, just going to fly off the island. However, before they decided to fly off, he wanted to give his son a few words of warning. And so he told Icarus, don't get complacent and fly too low. Don't fly too close to the sea, lest the water end up clogging up your wings. And by that same token... Don't get too cocky, don't get too full of yourself and start flying too high lest you get too close to the sun and it end up melting and burning your wings. Well, Icarus being young and being just overcome by the giddiness of being able to fly, he ended up pridefully flying higher and higher and higher as the story goes So much so that the intense heat and the fire of the sun ended up burning his wings and Icarus fell and drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, that of course is a story. It is a fictional tale. But it does have some basis in reality. Namely, the warning that Icarus' father had given him about the overwhelming and consuming heat of the sun. You know, our sun, it is a massive ball of just flaming fire with such size and power that it can consume anything that would dare to trifle with it. The temperature on the surface of the sun is a very toasty 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is actually the coldest spot on the sun. Because at the center, at the core of the sun... It is a very toasty 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. If you and I decided and told ourselves, you know what, that's just too hot. I don't like the sun being that hot. That's way too hot. That's way too dangerous. What we need to do is we need to cool that thing down. If you and I decided that we were going to get together just a whole big bunch of water and take that up into outer space and we were just going to throw that on the sun, if maybe somehow we were able to, I don't know, weaponize all of the earth's water, all of the oceans, all of the lakes, and all of the rivers, all the resources of water that we had, we were going to board a spaceship, take that up into the sky, get up next to the sun and just douse with all that water to bring the temperature down. Do you know what would happen? What would happen is, is by the time we got just halfway there, 
Earth is about 3 million miles away from the sun. So halfway would be about 1.5 million miles. By the time we got to the 1.5 million mile marker, the very heat of the sun would incinerate us into absolute nothingness. Even while we were still 1.5 million miles away. Our sun is a consuming fire that you don't want to mess around with. Just like God. Our text in Hebrews 12 and verse 29 tells us and reminds us that people who mess around with God, people who don't take Him seriously, people who do not submit to His Son, people who do not listen to His Word, they will be on the receiving end of His consuming fire. And while I certainly understand that God has many nice and pleasant and wonderful qualities about Him, we talk so much about His grace and about His love and about His kindness and His patience, and hey, even when we talk about the sun, the sun has lots of good qualities. It gives light. It gives energy. It gives warmth. But you know what? When people do like Icarus did and start playing fast and loose with that immense power, thinking that somehow the rules don't apply to them, do you know what's going to happen? What's going to happen is, is they're going to get burned. They're going to be overtaken by the wrath and the fury of an all-powerful God, the very one who created the sun. Indeed, our God is a consuming fire. Now, we could this morning talk about the consuming fire of God and talk about God's wrath in a very broad and general sense. And I I think that would be helpful, that would be beneficial. God's fire of judgment will certainly be expressed toward all sin and all sinners, but I'm wondering this morning if maybe we could, if we could hone the application, if we could narrow our focus to one specific area this morning. In fact, the area that I'm thinking about is an area that the recipients of the Hebrew letter would have been thinking about because the Hebrew writer actually attaches the judgment of God to this specific area just four verses after stating what he says in Hebrews 12 and verse 29. Which means, if you would look in your Bible in Hebrews chapter 13, I'm reading in verse 4. In Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4, Hebrews 12, 29, he's already told us, for our God is a consuming fire. Then listen to what the Hebrew writer says just moments later in Hebrews 13 and in verse 4. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The Hebrew writer says that when it comes to the subject of marriage, either you will obey God and live, or you can fight God on this and you will be consumed by His fire. And this morning... As we continue our preaching theme for 2020, I do need to spend just a few minutes thinking about the kind of marriage that gets consumed by fire. And I'm going to go ahead and confess to you that I don't particularly like this sermon. I really don't even want to preach this sermon. But you know what? If we are going to spend a whole year talking about why marriage matters, 
then we do need to give some attention to the kinds of things that Satan is doing to convince people that, oh, God's definition of marriage, it, it doesn't really matter. Come on, you don't have to do it His way. You can do what makes you happy. That's what's most important. You do what you think is best instead of doing what that dusty old rule book is telling you to do. You and I need to be ready to understand. We need to be ready to confront. And we need to be ready to speak against the lies that the devil is spewing about marriage in this morning. We want to use this verse in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4 to do just that. We want to let this passage guide us and point us to three sobering truths that I hope will help us to take marriage seriously, to take it more seriously, and in the process to take God seriously, lest we end up like Icarus and we find ourselves flying too close to the sun and then getting burned in the process. And that all begins by just looking at that very first expression in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4 where the writer says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. God starts out by saying, Don't dishonor marriage. Now, can I just say right up front that I do believe that this verse is commanding everybody to treat marriage with honor and with respect. That whether you are young or whether you're old, whether you're married, whether you're unmarried, whether you're in it or whether you're not in it, it doesn't really matter. All people need to understand God's position on marriage and then all people need to uphold and appreciate that for what it is. Somebody maybe would ask, okay, Josh, well, how exactly does a person dishonor God's plan for marriage? Well, I suppose that there are lots of ways that that can happen. And really, in, in some ways, we've talked about some of those things throughout the course of this year. But I want to highlight a couple of things that we've not specifically talked about this year. Would you look with me in Matthew, the 19th chapter? In Matthew, chapter 19, this is Jesus, and he is responding to some questions that the Pharisees have asked him about divorce. And in response to that question, Jesus decides to give just a well, just kind of a little history lesson. In Matthew chapter 19, I'm reading here in verse 4. In Matthew 19 verse 4, Jesus said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And He said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Do you see the rule there? Marriage is one man and one woman. This has been God's design from the very beginning all the way back to the Garden of Eden, which means that anything other than one man and one woman is dishonoring to what God has set up. Now, of course, if you know your Old Testament, then you know it didn't take very long for people to start trashing God's ideal for marriage. Pretty quickly on in the book of Genesis, you see men taking multiple wives for themselves, or maybe wives and concubines, multiple partners, the idea of polygamy. You see as well, as you move on throughout the Bible, there's lots of warnings against and even examples of men with men or women with women, homosexuality. In fact, would you look with me in Romans chapter 1, please? In Romans chapter 1, we are living in a time 
of constantly changing morals and values, which means that we have actually lived to the day to be able to see gay marriage become common, and we have lived to see the age when it has become accepted in our society. The idea that a man and a man or a woman and a woman can be united in this permanent relationship and that be seen as something that is honorable and something that is good, we're hearing more and more of that in our world today. But you and I need to be ready to say that from the beginning, it was not so. That's not the way God fashioned marriage to be. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says this in verse 24. He says that there were people that God gave up in the lust of their hearts to impurity... Look at this, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Can you just stop right there? That's kind of almost, verse 25, that's almost kind of like the earth saying to the sun, Son, I want to be the center of the universe. I don't like you being the center of the universe. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come over there and I'm going to tell you to move. You know what's going to happen? As it is on its way, as the earth is on its way to telling the sun to move, it's going to be burned up. It's going to be consumed by fire before it ever even gets there. Verse 26, Paul continues on. Here's more specifically. He says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What were they doing? For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and they were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Do you see what God is saying here? God says that homosexuality, it dishonors what He has created. It disrupts the natural order of one man and one woman. Now, I I, I want to be clear here. I understand that the LGBTQ movement in our culture, that it is largely being pushed by people that deep down are, I'm going to guess, are probably for the most part nice people. They're not villainous people. They're not out trying to, to hurt anybody. They don't have some kind of malicious intent for me or for my family personally. I think many of them are probably very genuine and very sincere whenever they say that they are simply acting in the name of love. They may even invoke the name of God in their love. But I'm going to say this. At the end of the day, the earth is not at the center of the solar system. And you and I, likewise, we are not at the center of everything. We are not the deciders of what is right and what is acceptable and what honors the Lord. God is. God's the decider. He is the Son at the center of the universe. And can I just say right here to our young people, young people, even if you have no intention of ever being involved in a homosexual relationship or ever having a gay marriage, you need to know that you are being pressed. You are being pressed on every side to tolerate this, to accept this, to support this, to favor this. And if you do, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says that you are dishonoring the biblical definition of marriage. You are flying way too close to the sun. And you need to get it turned around. In fact, isn't that ultimately the reason 
That we speak out against homosexuality and other such lifestyles? It's not because we, we, we hate people or because we want to pick a fight with folks. No, it's because we don't want people to burn up. That's an act of love. It's an act of love to try and save someone from being destroyed. Which is why, secondly, we need to also speak up and we need to say this. There's something else that dishonors marriage in a big way, and that's whenever a man and a woman fail to honor their vows for life. If you go back to Matthew, the 19th chapter, that's really, that's really where Jesus was headed with that question that he was asked by the Pharisees. They came to him and wanted to know, Hey, Jesus, can you just get divorced for any reason? You know, can a husband and a wife maybe just decide they're going to terminate their marriage? You know, it's just, just not working out. They gave it a go, but it's just not really working. And Well, we're just going to kind of just go our separate ways. And, well, we'll just kind of just both go on with life otherwise. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 19, verse 6. Jesus said to them, Those two people, that man, that woman, that husband, that wife, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They then responded in verse 7, well, well, why did Moses let us do that? Jesus says in verse 8, because of the hardness of your heart. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Do you see what Jesus is saying in these verses here? You know, we've talked about a lot of different facets to marriage this year. And I hope that you're like me. I hope that those lessons have caused all of us to, uh, to do some self-examination. You've maybe kind of thought about the state of your marriage and where exactly it is, how maybe it's doing and where it's ranking. But you know what? However you would rate your marriage right now, whether it's wonderful or whether it's stressful, whether it's really, really easy to be married to the person you're married to or whether it's really, really hard to be married to them, whatever it is, if you have lawfully joined yourself in marriage to another person, do you see what Matthew 19 is saying? Jesus is saying that you are bound for life in the service of God to that relationship. When we make those sacred promises in the presence of witnesses, and more importantly, in the presence of Almighty God, that we are going to be bound to one another until death do us part, that is a lifelong commitment that we are making. And whenever we honor our word, whenever we honor that covenant that we have made, when we honor that in sickness and in health, when we honor that whether we're rich or whether we're poor, in good times or in bad, then that in turn honors the Lord who is the giver of marriage. But Jesus tells us that whenever one, or maybe even in some cases, both parties in that relationship, when he or she or he and she choose to forsake those vows and then walk away from something that God has joined together, that, that dishonors marriage. It dishonors the one who gave marriage. Now, of course, if you're looking there in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus does give one exception to that law. And that exception is for the innocent spouse when the other spouse has been unfaithful. 
He or she can then put away that unfaithful partner if they so choose. But to separate or to put one spouse away for any other reason, and let's just be honest, many of the divorces that occur in our world, they are for any and every other reason. It is sin. That's exactly what it is. It is a violation of the Word of God. It is a transgression of the Word of God. It is sin. It's an affront to the Lord, and it is an express violation of His Word. Would you look with me in Romans chapter 7, please? In Romans chapter 7, Paul, Paul uses the marriage bond to talk to his audience here about some things pertaining to, to the old law. Uh, we read these verses and we kind of look at it the other way. We kind of uh, look at these verses to see how the old law is explaining some stuff to us about marriage. Look with me though at these verses in Romans chapter 7. Look in verse 2. Paul says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly... She will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, you might be wondering, okay, well, why are we reading that passage, Josh? Well, I read that passage because Matthew chapter 19 addresses a man doing this, and Romans chapter 7 addresses a woman doing this. And the point is that it really doesn't matter whether you are a man or whether you are a woman, if we leave marriage unlawfully, that is dishonoring to God. And I do realize that even as I say that, people have all kinds of justifications and rationalizations. Well, you know, yeah, we, we, we split, we, we divorced, we separated, but you know, we're both just a whole lot happier now. We just, you know, we're better apart than we were together. Or, you know, my, my, the kids, they're in a much better place now. It's a much better environment than the one they were in. It was just really toxic and really awful. Or, you know what, the church that I attend, I mean, hey, they told us that it's okay. They told me that my decision and how we handled that, that we're fine and we're good in the eyes of God, all of that, all of that may soothe a person's conscience. But that doesn't change the fact. That doesn't change the fact that the sun is still a ball of fire. And the sun will only provide you with warmth and energy and light and blessings if you are following it. Or better stated, following Him. And His law is clear as to what He expects in marriage. And so, I would say this morning, if you are married, then you need to stay married and you need to keep working at that. And even if you are divorced, and you know what? Even if it was your sin that caused that divorce, what you need to do, if you've not already, is you need to talk to your Father in Heaven about that. And you need to seek His forgiveness for that. And, this is important, you need to search within yourself. And you need to make sure, you need to make absolutely sure that you are not presently continuing in that sin. Do you understand what I mean by that? You cannot continue to remain in that sinful situation, doing what is sinful and be pleasing unto God. God says, don't dishonor marriage, whether that be in word or whether that be in deed. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Which brings us to that next statement in Hebrews 13 and in verse 4, that the marriage bed 
is to be undefiled. What God says here is He says, don't defile the marriage bed. Now obviously, this is not talking about having dirty bed sheets or getting crumbs on the comforter. No. What the Hebrew writer here is speaking of is preserving the sanctity of the sexual relationship that God allows between a husband and a wife. That that physical intimacy that God has designed to be a good thing, to be a blessing in marriage. And the warning here is to not introduce anything that would corrupt or ruin or defile the specialness of that union. Well, what exactly are we talking about? Well, once again, I'll offer two things here. It's not limited to these two things, but these are two things that we need to consider. I think these certainly fit the description of defilement, first and foremost. What about defiling the marriage bed with someone other than your spouse? Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul actually discusses the sexual relationship in marriage. He does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm reading here in verse 4. In 1 Corinthians 7 and in verse 4, Paul says this, he says, For the wife, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. When a man and a woman are united together in marriage... One of the things that they actually are doing in that is in the process, they are yielding their bodies to each other. She belongs to him. He belongs to her. And guess what? They belong to no others. They belong to no one else. Nothing in the text says that another person can be introduced into that equation. Nothing in the text allows for sharing with someone else's body, either secretly without the other spouse's knowledge, or maybe even doing that by agreement with one another. I actually heard someone say not that long ago, you know, my wife and I, we've got an agreement that if we each want to fool around a little bit on the side, we can do that. Hmm. Did God agree with that? Did you just come up with that on your own or or did the Lord sign off on that? And if the Lord did sign off on that, where's the passage that says that? Because remember, the Son, the Son is still at the center of the universe, not you. In fact, if you're still there in 1 Corinthians, just bump back up in the chapter, in chapter 6. In chapter 6, God has actually given some very unflattering descriptions to people who would defile the marriage bed in that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm reading in verse 9, Paul writes there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral... And i got to tell you, I actually prefer the old King James here. Fornicators... That's just a hard-sounding word. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, we already talked about that, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Somebody maybe sees all that and they say, well, oh no, 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 there's no well here. Well, Josh, you don't, hey, no, 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 there's, there, there, there's no well here. Oh, well, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you about this. Well, no, 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 no. There's no well at all. 
In fact, even if there was a well, it wouldn't be big enough to hold enough water to be able to put out and extinguish the sun. God says, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's certainly not to say that there is not hope for someone who maybe has made those mistakes, for someone who has defiled the marriage bed. Verse 11 goes on to say, and such were some of you. What that tells us is that tells us that we can be washed and we can be sanctified and we can be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what that means is, is that means that we have to stop. We have to stop doing wrong. Infidelity has to stop. Living in an adulterous marriage has to stop. Somebody maybe would say as they think about all of that, but, but that'll be really, really hard. You know, ending that relationship, that'll be really difficult. Telling that person, I can't see you anymore, that'll be tough. Maybe going to my spouse and confessing my indiscretions, that'll be really, really painful. And you know what? I suspect it will. But what I'm saying to you this morning is, is that one day you and I will meet the Lord. And in that day, the Lord will be a great warmth to those who are obedient. But to those who have disobeyed Him, He will be nothing but a consuming fire. Now, that's probably the obvious defilement as we think about the marriage bed and what can defile it. I think we all know that you can't be having somebody who's not your spouse involved in that. You can't be putting another human body into the marriage bed. But, but what about this second thing? What about this second idea that you also cannot bring lust for others into your marriage either? If lustful thoughts for others who are not your spouse, if those are brought into the marriage bed, it does indeed defile it. And once again, this is where folks start breaking out all those wells. Well, 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 you know, you know, just thinking about that, well, it kind of helps to spice up the marriage a little bit. Oh, well, Josh, I mean, everybody has these kinds of thoughts from time to time, don't you know? Or, well, you know, what's the harm in, in, in thinking and, and maybe even looking, you know, as long as you're not touching? What are you doing? What, 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 what is this? There's no well here. There's no buts here. There's no I think here. Either you obey the Lord or you don't. And bringing lust for others into marriage, that is disobedient to God. I'm looking for Matthew chapter 5 now. In Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks here about the necessity of us exercising self-control even over our thoughts. He talks about the heart, but He's talking about the heart up here. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading in verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Stop right there. If I were to face the Lord, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I've I've been faithful to my wife all the days of our marriage. I have never been with another woman. I have never united myself with another person, given my body to another person, been with anyone other than my wife. And God said, but, 
But what about all that stuff that you viewed? What about all that stuff in your search history on your internet? What about all those lustful thoughts that you entertained? And not penitently, not the kind of thing, all right, I, I thought something lustful and man, I shouldn't have done that. And I asked God for forgiveness. No, we're talking about those lustful thoughts that you persisted in, that you continued to fill your mind with those images and those ideas. And I then say to God, well, God, don't you know, that's just different. But God will say, is it? Is it? My son came to earth. And in Matthew the 5th chapter, in the Sermon on the Mount, my son said that it's as if you have committed adultery. And that's exactly why Jesus continues on. And he says, you need to control yourself. You do need to control your thoughts and what enters into your heart. Even if that means taking some drastic measures. He continues on, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell, consuming fire. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Chop off your hand, poke out your eye, unplug your computer, Toss out your cell phone. Get rid of your cable plan. Whatever it takes, get rid of it and get it out of your life so that you can obey the Lord. Have you ever seen that movie Fireproof? came out a few years ago. stars Kirk Cameron. The movie Fireproof is about a marriage that was on the brink of disaster. Not because uh, one of the spouses in the marriage had introduced another person into the marriage. Oh, no, 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 no. The marriage was on the brink of disaster because of pornography. Because of what the husband was viewing and thinking in his mind. And so the husband fought and he failed and he fought and he failed. And the marriage seemed to be on the brink of being totally destroyed until, until the day came that he picked his computer up and he set it outside and he took a baseball bat and he beat the tar out of that thing. And of course, all his neighbors looked at him like he was a complete idiot for doing so. But what that guy did was he took some extreme measures to remove the thing that was defiling his marriage bed. And for you and I, it will mean no less. Because the stakes that we're talking about here, they are extraordinarily high. Dishonoring marriage, defiling the marriage bed. Yes, that can certainly lead to your marriage here on earth being ruined. But as you turn back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, even worse is it can lead to you being eternally ruined. Because finally the text tells us that those who are violators of God's law, they will be judged. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Hebrews 13, 4. Now, we see that kind of terminology and phraseology in Scripture all the time. God will judge. God is a consuming fire. And make no mistake, those are powerful words and powerful metaphors. But sometimes, sometimes we just need to be more plain and we need to be more direct and to the point. You realize then that when people dishonor marriage by trying to redefine it, or by failing to honor their commitment for life, 
When people defile their marriage bed through their infidelity or by harboring and thinking and dwelling upon impure thoughts, when people do that and they are unrepentant in that, then what that means is, is that means that those individuals are going to hell. That's what that means. People are going to go to hell because they have violated God's marriage law. In fact, that's what Jesus just got done saying in Matthew chapter 5, didn't He? That those who violate that law, they will go to hell. They will burn. We read those verses earlier as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That those who try to pervert and twist and corrupt God's plan for marriage, they cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. I.e., they are going to hell if they don't repent. Let me add one more passage to that, one final passage today in Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, here John has the privilege of seeing all of these just amazing visions of uh, of the spiritual realm and of eternity. He gets to see all these these beautiful and wondrous pictures of, of heaven and God on the throne, God dwelling with His people. He's wiping away all the tears from their eyes. But then, but then the scene begins to shift. Pick up with me in Revelation 21 and in verse 6. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the waters of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8 now. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, notice now, and the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen, I I don't think that I've presented anything this morning that is new or novel or some kind of a revelation to you, pardon the pun there. I trust that you already knew the things that we've talked about this morning, that you knew what God's Word says about about homosexuality, and about divorce, and about adultery, and about lust. In fact, we haven't even said anything about fornication prior to getting married which essentially is just two people who are pretending to be married without the actual benefit of marriage. All of those things, I trust that you understand, they are soundly rebuked and soundly condemned in Scripture. My task this morning has simply been to try to bring all of that together and push it to the forefront of our minds to say that God does have a definite plan for marriage and human sexuality. And here's the kicker about it. It works. It does. It just flat works. It works and it brings abundant and amazing blessings if we are willing to obey Him and follow His Word. But when we become like Icarus and we get to thinking that somehow we know better or that somehow we can bend the rules or that you know what? It's not really that big of a deal if we happen to be flying a little bit close to the sun. We will be burned. That is what awaits us. We will be burned and we will suffer. We will suffer now. And even if somehow we escape and don't suffer in the here and the now or we don't feel the pain of the here and the now, we most certainly will suffer in eternity. 
Because why? Because Hebrews 12 verse 29. Because our God is a consuming fire. Let's be more determined than ever to take God seriously so that we never have to find out just how hot that sun really is. Would you pray with me? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this morning so thankful for the opportunity to open up your word and for the things that you have revealed to us. And Father, we come confessing that we are discomforted by the things that your word has to say about your wrath and about your fury and about the consuming fire that awaits those who reject you and reject your ways. Father, we're thinking specifically today about marriage and about your plan and your design for marriage. And Father, we do praise you for how wonderful and perfect and amazing your plan really is. But we acknowledge, Father, that too many times we think that we know better, we think that we can improve upon it, we think that somehow our happiness is more important than following your word as your word has instructed. And Father, we can only do one thing, and that is to throw ourselves at your mercy and to ask for your forgiveness. Father, if there is any sin in our life that we have yet to repent of as it pertains to our marriage, we're asking, Father, that you would make that aware to us, help us to remove that from our lives, help us to purge it so that we might be cleansed and be pure and be whole and be right in your sight. Father, we pray a blessing upon all of us who are married, that we might be devoted to one another, that we might serve each other, that we might make our marriages stronger and better and deeper so that they might indeed go the distance. Be with our young people, Father, as they make decisions and as they make plans for the future and try to find a person that they can be married to and spend their life with. Help them, Father, to make good decisions and help them, Father, to understand the gravity of the choices that they make. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for His perfect example as He demonstrates to us the marriage relationship through His relationship with the church. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for the salvation and the forgiveness that we find through His blood. And it is in His holy name that we offer this prayer and these petitions. And amen.